Welcome, everybody. It is episode 21 of the uh, Fantasy Alarm uh, Hockey Podcast. I'm Andrew Dewhurst. As always, I'm joined by Chris Murray. How are you doing tonight, Chris? I'm doing well, Andrew. I'm doing well. How about you? Oh, I'm getting by. Uh, you know, we essentially had the day off from from NHL with uh, there being just one game tonight. Um, it looks like uh, maybe the NHL brought in the co-op students to, to build the schedule this year. So that's always fun, uh, as we have a the one game no one would be interested in today with Tampa and Detroit, uh, followed by 14 games tomorrow. So uh, good on that person. Uh, maybe someday we can all aspire to make the schedule for the NHL, uh, as there is no baseline for what you should or shouldn't do. Um, so to get into things this week, uh, we're winding down. So, I mean... More or less, most season-long hockey leagues should be over, uh, unless I'm your terrible commission, which I have one league that's still going on because I lost track of uh, when the season was going to go to. Uh, but for the most part, leagues have wrapped up. Uh, so we're just down to the DFS slate at this point. Uh, we're now uh, just a few weeks away from uh, the end of the NHL regular season. Uh, so... It's getting to be time to start to look uh, outside of DFS terms to, to start to look ahead a little bit. Uh, we know that we're going to have the expansion draft this year. Seattle Kraken are officially an NHL club. I believe that uh, happened this week. Uh, and we also have the, the regular NHL draft that's coming up. Uh, I think that's in June, if my memory serves me correctly. Um, maybe it's July, but... Um, lots of stuff still going to be going on in, in the hockey world. So um, getting things going this week. We'll start with uh, what's happening in the divisions. So uh, for the most part, I mean, we'll start in the north. Uh, Toronto essentially has this thing locked up there at 71 points, uh, nine points ahead of Edmonton. Uh, Edmonton does have two games in hand, but at this point in time, I don't think they're going to make that that difference up. Um while the conversation last week was, will Montreal make it with Calgary and Vancouver potentially on their heels? The new conversation is, will Montreal move up to the three spot with Edmund or with Winnipeg uh, having lost six in a row uh, and now just two points ahead of uh, your your beloved Canadians? So um, I, I think from Winnipeg's perspective, that's maybe not the end of the world. Uh, they've had no success against Edmonton this year, uh, but they have had some success against Toronto. So uh, what are your thoughts on those matchups? I mean, I don't think it necessarily matters for Montreal. I mean, they've had some success against Edmonton, but... I mean, I, I still don't want to play Edmonton. Like, I don't want to play Edmonton in the playoffs, right? I don't want to play Toronto. I don't... I don't even want to play Winnipeg. I just want like, like poor Montreal just sitting. It's it's bad for Winnipeg. Winnipeg just sitting there free falling right now. If you're gonna go on a losing streak, now would probably be a bad time to do it. Um. So again, right, Montreal's got that they picked up here two wins in a row. So that's kind of solidified their position, I guess, if you want to say that in the fourth spot. Unless I mean Calgary needs to go on an absolute crazy run here. They basically have to win out. Um, if they want to have a chance, and I don't think that's going to happen for them here. Um, but no, for sure, for Montreal, again, we know that they've been able to contain McDavid and Dreisaitl for 
parts of the season. I don't know if they can do it seven games in a playoff series, right? It's a large task to be able to try to handle those two. It's honestly on paper, though, it's a much easier matchup than having to face Toronto's offense, right? Because that'll just shoot you from every angle. We saw them right in their game against Toronto. They just, they just didn't look there. They didn't look good. They didn't look like they had anything. They were miss. I mean, much. I was missing key players. Yes. But Toronto's team is just built here to have success. Um, barring they get over the uh, hump, which is the first round for them. But I think this might be the year that they'd be able to get through that. But again, like how, like, am I really going to sit there and bet against McDavid and Dreisaitl? I don't think, I mean, generally when we do that in DFS, it costs us a couple dollars here and there. So, um, I mean, I've been bit by them multiple times sitting there going, no, I can't afford McDavid. And I mean, if you read the playbook, when I write it and McDavid's on it, I don't even tell you to play him anymore. I just basically tell people to tell me why I shouldn't. That's it. That's literally my blog. My my blurb is tell me why you shouldn't. That's the only thing I want to hear because that is probably easier than explaining how McDavid just torches whoever's in front of him. And from a again from a playoff perspective, uh, if I'm Winnipeg, I I I don't care who I play. Right. I just kind of want to figure it out before we get there because again they're just kind of not doing well here. I mean, they gave up a lead to Montreal. Montreal hasn't been able to win consistently uh, for a long time here. So definitely concerning if I'm the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Montreal, I mean, their entire team is concerning. So we'll see. uh, We'll see how they mitigate this. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I'll say about Winnipeg is that if I look at the straight numbers, I mean, this is a dangerous task, but uh, Winnipeg's been bad at home all year, right? They're 11-11-2, which means they have a losing record in, in realistic terms. Um, but, man, they're 16-9-1 on the road. So, like... Which is weird. Uh, it is. I mean, Montreal's kind of done a similar thing. Not quite. Like, my... I mean, Winnipeg's one more in regulation. Montreal's 11-7-7, while 12-11-2 at home. Um it, it is. It's hard to explain. And the thing is, is I feel like, like, we go back and we look at Edmonton, and it's like, hey, remember how you guys lost to Chicago last year in the first round? Remember that thing that wasn't supposed to happen that still happened, and like they beat you pretty convincingly because they were essentially willing and able to like beat you at your own game. Um, so. I would wonder about like I don't think teams are necessarily going to be all that intimidating. I'm like, oh, we got to play Edmonton in the first round. Uh, I I don't think I mean, they'll be intimidated, but again, like Edmonton has, let's be honest, they have two players. The rest of that team is just just chugging along here. I mean, McDavid and Drysdale are just pulling the boat here. And the rest of whoever comes there, and I'll even throw Nugent Hopkins into that boat. I mean, he's not generating much um, by himself, right? I mean, he's yeah. he's playing on a line here with Jesse Pujarvi and Ryan McLeod. So, I mean, we're not again. He's you know, he, he's basically yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's basically become a winger at this point, right? Yeah. The center days of Nugent Hopkins, I think, are over, and their bottom six is just. I mean, it's terrible. <laughs> so yeah, we're not really going to worry about defensively, right? 
I mean, Tyson Berry and Darnell Nurse are not there to play defense, right? They're there to contribute offensively. They also play together five on five, which is wild, right? Because when you have Barry, Nurse, McDavid, and Dreisaitl on the ice, like you got a lot of offense going, but you don't have any defense happening. And I guess they get away with it because, I mean, they possess the puck so much that, right? The best way to not get scored on is to possess the puck. That's kind of the easiest way to go through things. Um, I also don't, like Mike Smith doesn't scare anybody. I mean, right. Nico Koskinen has never scared anybody. So I guess for a lot of teams, it, it's true that it, Edmonton is not intimidating. You don't look at their team and say, man, like, again, if I look at Toronto's team and I go up and down the lineup, I'm terrified because there's so many different players who can burn me on any given night. When I look at Edmonton, I mean, it's simple. You just, you know, you just have to try and slow down the, two best players in the NHL right now. That's a tough task to do. I understand that, but you got two, right? You got two players that you got to slow down. You don't have an entire top six to slow down. Right. So it's, I mean, teams are not going to pick because like I said, man, betting against Connor McDavid just seems like a really bad idea. Every time you think about it, even when it might seem like a good idea. I, again, from experience, just <laughs> slates with the with slates with McDavid on him. Just betting against him just never seems like a good idea. So I'm yeah, still I terrified. mean, I think you run you obviously run that risk, right? Where it's like, hey, look, uh, Edmonton needs a goal. Hey, look, McDavid scored a goal. Hey, look, he scored two goals. Hey, look, we lost three two, right? Like he's playing almost twenty three minutes a night, right? Right, as a forward. So he's basically on the ice for a full period. I mean, at some yeah. point, he's going to score. Like, that's the thing. Even with everything that Montreal has done up till now, containing him in Dreisaitl, like, you know it's coming, right? Like, it's going to happen. You yeah, just hope you, it doesn't hurt. You can only clog the neutral zone up Correct. so much, right? And all McDavid needs is what? Two feet? Not even? Yeah, not even. You give him... Because if you give him three feet, you're done. Like, he's going to turn you inside out, and you're going to be on TSN's highlight reel for a week. Right. So I don't know how much of that I want to deal with in a seven game series, having to literally live life on the edge of will McDavid embarrass me and maybe end my career. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's going to be I mean, it'll be interesting if nothing else. Uh, at least I think if it was to be in a Edmonton and Winnipeg. Uh, that first round matchup would be at least fun to watch. Like, I, I don't see like Winnipeg has not adjusted to like we can we can't play running gun hockey with this team. So I don't see that changing come playoff time. So if that does end up being the matchup, uh, at least it'll be a fun four games as opposed to let's clog up the neutral zone and see what happens. Uh, I, I do think when I look at this like a round out whomever gets Toronto as as long as Toronto can keep a one up like I I'd like to say one up but maybe it's like if they can keep goalies healthy right if Campbell can stay healthy um if if Freddie Anderson can come back and be healthy and contribute something so that it's not like oh we have to go to Riddich now or down to Hutchinson I don't see how they don't at least make it out of those first two rounds with how like with their with their depth. Um 
from there anything can happen. Because, uh, I mean, there's lots of... There's certainly more than four good teams in the NHL, so... Uh, but I mean, Toronto, this could be the year Toronto finally goes on, goes on a real run. Um, taking a look at, uh, the rest of the schedule or the rest of the standings here, uh, Vegas is getting close to locking things down. They're nine, nine, one and oh, in their last 10, uh, Colorado's not making it easy. They're seven and three. Minnesota's not making it easy. They're eight and one and one. Uh, and St. Louis has at this point, I think gone ahead and locked up uh, that fourth spot. They're now three points ahead of Arizona with three games in hand. Uh, Mike Hoffman's come to life. Maybe finally figured out what it was that they wanted him to do in in St. Louis, which is score power play goals. He's been doing that a lot lately. Um, So St. Louis might... uh, St. Louis could be an interesting team come playoff time. Uh, But I I don't see how they're going to get past Vegas or Colorado, uh, I'd maybe give them a puncher's chance against Minnesota just because they're so much less experienced. But uh, realistically, I don't see that playing out. I mean, Minnesota's now six points back of Vegas with the same number of games played. So uh, I know I wouldn't be looking forward to playing Vegas in the first round. Uh, or probably if I was Minnesota, I'm probably not in love with playing Colorado in the first round either. But um I mean, they they've had their own issues as of late too, with with COVID and uh, no real backups. So if Grubauer gets hurt, uh, who knows what could happen with that team? Um, and then looking at the central, we have uh, the haves and the have-nots, if you will. Right, we've got Carolina, Tampa Bay, and Florida, all separated by two points of each other. Uh, and then you have Nashville, who's nearly. 20 points behind Florida, uh, 15 points to be precise. Uh, Dallas, who's now three points back of Nashville, and Chicago, who's uh, eight points back of Nashville as well. Uh, they're separated by eight points, and then you get down in Detroit, Columbus, and Columbus is, a, I mean, we talked about this before we came on, but um, I would say it's pretty safe that they have just full-on quit on John Tortorella at this point in time, so... Uh, I don't know how fun it's going to be to be in that locker room for the remaining four games or so, but uh, Columbus has gone from a team that people thought could push for, I don't know, probably the three spot in this division down to like pushing for maybe the number one overall pick. It's, I mean, like you said, the central division is kind of locked up one, two, three. I think there's still a stress on trying to finish at the top spot. Just so you can get whatever dumpster team gets that fourth spot. Cause there is a clear separation between three and four. Like those yeah. Carolina, Tampa Bay and Florida are really good teams. And it would be a shame for, I mean, it's, it's a shame for two of those teams because they have to face off against each other at some point, right? Whether it's Florida and Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, Carolina or Carolina and Florida, one of those, right? Any of those combinations, one of them is going to happen no matter what. And again, very unfortunate. Um, Nashville and Dallas had a snooze fest in their matchup. I think that game went to overtime as well. Um, so they kind of had to hang on here. UC Saros has been absolutely lights out for the better part of a month and a half. He is dragging this floor, this Nashville team into the playoffs. Like he's just putting the entire team on his back and he's just saying, Hey, 
come with me to the next round so we can get slaughtered by whatever team is, you know, going to finish first right. here. Um, so it's definitely, it's definitely something I don't think, uh, right. So we can just discredit Chicago. I mean, from there, I don't think realistically they have a chance here to, uh, even compete for that four spot here. They're four five and one in their last hand. I mean, Detroit's irrelevant. Columbus is irrelevant. Uh, Columbus. I mean, you talked about fun in a locker room. I don't think there's much fun with John Tortorella in a room anyway. So, um, no worry there. It's it's kind of I, I guess for Dallas, it's kind of one of this thing where this like they're supposed to be a good team, but they're not. But sometimes they are. Like yeah. I hate playing Dallas in DFS. I don't know about you, but I hate it. First of all, I got to find out if Rupe Hints is going to play. So I automatically have to take. <laughs> yeah, you never know. I automatically got to take six thirty to seven off so I can try to figure out if he's skating or not. That's assuming they play at seven. Um, I mean. Joe Pavelski is the definition of hot cold, right? Jason Robertson's no longer affordable on DraftKings, as he shouldn't be because he's been really good this year. Uh, and then the rest of that lineup just sucks. Like, yeah. It's just a dumpster fire of a bottom six as well, right? We talked about teams with bad bottom sixes. You know, Dallas is one of them. They don't have a good bottom six. Um, and then their question is, you know, goaltending. Anton Hudobin's been very erratic this season he's been really really good at times he's been god awful the others so i again i i think nashville gets in here just because they really have nobody else to challenge them in this spot they they have nobody and this is their opportunity now once you get the playoffs that's a whole other conversation that you're going to have right what can or cannot happen because we know that teams with good goaltending can you know, surprise teams in the playoffs. And that's very, very possible that we, you know, am I saying that, I don't know, let's say Carolina finishes first here. Am I saying they're going to get bounced by Nashville? No. But, I would mean, I think Nashville... Would you be shocked if they did? I, actually, I would be, yes. I would be less shocked. Let's say Tampa Bay finishes first. I'd be less shocked if Nashville beat Tampa Bay than I would if Nashville beat Carolina. I think of those three teams... Tampa Bay is probably the quote-unquote worst team, right? And that's saying something because Sergey Bobrovsky is a starting goalie for Florida. Um, but, I mean, Tampa Bay just, like, they struggled in this two-game series against Detroit. They really, really struggled. And I know they're missing pieces. And I know that they're at some point going to get Nikita Kucherov back from this, miss, you know, this injury that he's had to deal with all season. But... Just looking at their lineup, this is that this team doesn't look like the Stanley Cup winning team that they were last season. Now, bar you, there's a lot of the same faces that are there, right? So, yeah, uh, I mean, I would go, I'd go a little bit further than saying like they're missing pieces. I mean, they're missing like franchise cornerstones. Yeah, right. Like Varlamov, I mean, didn't play either, or Varlamov. Uh, Vasilevsky didn't play either game against Detroit. They're missing Kucherov. They're missing Stamkos. Um, well, like, Vasilevsky not playing wasn't a problem. They didn't give up. Right, yeah, they didn't give up Dallas, goals. I mean, Detroit couldn't score goals, so that right. probably helps it. But, I mean, just, again, if you go through their top, you know, their four lines, they don't they don't look good. Well, they don't, Nothing about that team scares me. We don't know about Stamkos' health either because we know that he just – Man, he's having a hard time staying healthy these last couple of years. So that's a, you know, th- those are 
that's a big piece to be missing in your lineup. And I don't know how much you can count on Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov just kind of going on a run here. Um, a, we don't even know how healthy Kucherov is going to be, right? Like he hasn't skated. He, I mean, skated. He hasn't played, right? So how game shape are you at this point of the year, right? He can either come in and be super fresh and, you know, up to pace because his body hasn't had to go through the grueling, you know, grind of this season. So maybe that helps. Or on the other flip side, he comes in and he's just a step behind, a full step where teams are, you know, they've gone through the season, they're up, they're at, you know, the peak level that they need to be, and Kucherov's not. So we're going to find out in about two weeks what kind of game shape Kucherov's in and how much he can bring to this team. Because, like I said, yeah. they're that really good second line of Barkley Goudreau, Yanni Gord, and Blake Coleman, that was their third line last right. season. And they were very effective as that third line. But having them be a top six line right now, that's a like that's a stretch. Oh, I, I agree. Um, I mean, I just took a look. I mean, Stamkos is eligible to come off the long-term aisle on the fifth. Um sounds like he's still expected to be ready shortly after that. We haven't had an update on Kucherov in about three weeks. Um, I don't know if he's skating or not. I I, I think if he can be skating, um, then it, he'll probably be fine, right? It's like, yeah, you haven't had game action in a year, but at least you have time to kind of get things back together with your line mates. I mean, the other issue, the the other real issue that I think Tampa's had is that Victor Hedman hasn't been that good in the last month, right? Like, he hasn't been greatest of all time level, which uh, has been a big difference maker for... And yet, somehow, he's going to be in, nominated for a Norris Trophy. Because... Oh, and probably win it, too, right? Because... Which is unfortunate, but it's kind of how this trophy well, goes now, right? I don't I mean... I don't know if you saw the great debate, or I don't know how great the debate was, to be honest. But um, so I mean, at this point, Hedman's got forty-four points in fifty-one games. He's a uh, just a plus seven, whatever. Uh, take take plus minus for with a grain of salt. Um, but uh, we'll just say Dom at the Athletic put out uh, an article this week about you know ranking out the who he felt should be who the analytics say should be um, in the Norris conversation. And Hedman wasn't even in the top 10. Adam Fox was number one. Yeah. Now I like Adam Fox. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but this is sometimes where I take a, a little bit of the analytics with a grain of salt, because there's one thing the analytics don't necessarily understand. And that's consistency. Typically, they're not looking for consistency. Like, Fox was really hot and really cold and really hot and then really cold. Um, so, like, I would have a really tough time seeing, like, getting on board with Adam Fox winning the Norris, knowing that, like, yeah, sometimes he has three-point nights and other times he completely disappears. He gives you no shots. He doesn't block anything. And, and not that shots and blocks should necessarily matter that much. Uh, but I just draw them up because that's what I look at all the time for defensemen is like, how much are you shooting the puck? How much are you like blocking the shot in front of you? Uh, so, I mean, 
I think it was like Fox, Dougie Hamilton, um, which I get from an offensive perspective. And I don't remember who the third one was in that list, but I was like, yeah, I don't know about that. Like, I'll tell you who my third is. I I, I won't disagree with those uh, first two that you picked, Adam Fox and Dougie Hamilton, right? Adam Fox, to me, I think is what he's doing on the team that he's playing as well, right? He's got all those numbers that you kind of like, right? He does a lot of good things, um, which is fine. Uh, my third player would be on that ballot, who I think is not going to get consideration just because why would he, right? Is Jacob Chikrin. Because I think he's a modern-day Brant Burns, and the fact that he can score goals, he can rack up assists, right? We'll discredit the plus-minus because he plays in Arizona, right? He picks up his, you know, even-strength points. We know that he shoots the puck a lot, right? Because only Dougie Hamilton shoots the puck more than he does. He blocks a bunch of shots, which is something that, you know, you would like in a defenseman. Like, Jacob Chikrin shooting 10% on the year. 10 Right, like there's a handful of players who are shooting over seven. Kale McCarr being one, John Carlson being one, Victor Hedman being yeah. one. Right, so again, for defensemen shooting the puck a lot, it's kind of like one of those things you're like, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe here and there and whatnot. But I mean, a lot of defensemen are going to finish with maybe 110, 115 shots if they're lucky. Adam Fox sitting at 98 right now probably gets to 110, maybe. Right, as right as as we move close to the end of the season. I, I just think Jacob Chikrin is a literally a modern day defenseman. He does everything well offensively, and he does everything well defensively, which is what the Norris Trophy is—the best defenseman. Yeah, uh, yeah, Chikrin's interesting, right? Like he he does do everything right. He's got—I mean—he's had a hat trick this year. He scores. He gives you points. He is my does... top cash game defenseman. Every time, like I don't care how how expensive it is. There's not enough. <laughs> it's not enough. Even when he was seven k, I think it was when Saturday. I was I was I still played him. He is one of the only defensemen this season, right, to hit the double bonus. So five plus shots and three plus block shots on DraftKings, which gives you both bonuses, yeah. which is a crazy high floor for a defenseman like Alec Martinez, right? Big playbook fan. I mean. He blocks shots a whole bunch of times. Yeah. Uh, Darnell Nurse is another one of those players, right? But sometimes the blocks aren't necessarily there. The shots are. Jacob Chikrin does both. And he does it, again, on a very, very bad Arizona team. Very, very bad. He'll even, you know, throw in your penalty minutes here and there, you know? And he's got 13 even strength goals. 13. No other player has more. Uh, it, right in, in the top 10, Jeff Petrie and Victor Hedman have eight, right? And Jeff Petrie's cooled off a mass load here. Yeah. But there's a lot of other players who have a whole bunch of, you know, points and whatnot. A lot of those are coming on the power play, which is where they need to be coming from, probably. Um, to me, it's just Jacob Chickren's not going to get enough love because nobody knows where he plays. Yeah, I think of Chikrin, and I'm thinking about this for, for next year. I mean, where do you think he's going to get drafted in season long next year, right? Like, I think a lot of people are going to look at that 10% shooting percentage and go, oh, it's a one big year, right? Maybe. And that's it's not, 
I mean, that's not unfair. But at the same time, he does have two 8% shooting years, so it's not crazy high. Um, I don't see any Like, he scored he... 12 last year. Right. Right? Like, he's not a defenseman who's going to pick up a boatload of points. Again, because he plays in Arizona. Well, he so he might, doesn't get though, them. Right? Like, he essentially functioned for a large part as the offense. Right. And he's only 23 years old. Like, he just turned 23. He's literally a child. And, and if, if you pace this out over 82 games at the pace he's currently on, like, he's well, like, he's probably going to hit 50 points, which is really good, by the way, for a defenseman, right? Like, there are not a lot of 50 point defensemen. Honestly, I would have him as the fifth defenseman off the board. And, I mean, if my memory serves me well, Chickren was a guy who, uh, going into his draft year, was thought of as a top five pick. He would be the first defenseman off the board. Um, And in retrospect, given that that draft was 2016, he should have been the first one off the board, given Ole Uolvi is the at, went at five. Yeah, he's played 20 games in the NHL so far. Uh, Mikhail Sergachev uh, went at nine. I mean, he's been good. It's hard to, to necessarily deny that. Uh, Jake Bean went ahead of him. Charlie McAvoy went ahead of him. Uh, and he went one pick ahead of Dante Fabro, right? Like, he really skidded down. And if, I think think the issue was heading into that draft was that uh, I think there were some um, personality concerns that they weren't sure if he would uh, develop uh, into what it looked like he'd done because he was a really big offensive player in, in Sarnia. I think the year before he was over a point per game as like a, I guess it would be like a 16 year old. So um, but I wonder in retrospect, actually, how much I, maybe he got clouded over, because uh, I would be pretty close to the time that uh, no one's favorite defenseman, Tony D'Angelo, was probably also in Sarnia. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I will probably pencil him in as like the, my first defenseman next year, because I think he'll drop. I think people are going to look at it and go, no. And you'll probably get him in like the sixth, seventh round. You could. And he's he's a modern day stat stuffer, right? I mean, yeah. he'll fill every single category that you're looking for, probably, which is and, nice. Again, discredit the plus minus because that's a terrible category that your league shouldn't count anyways. But right. I mean, like I said, there's he's he's good. And the reason people kind of don't take, you know, sight of that is because he plays in Arizona and there's nothing good there and the team is just awful and he is the bright spot of defenseman right like I said he does a lot of good things which is not just you know racking up points right he can get those points yes right and in that top 10 I mean he has the fewest assists out of all defensemen but just overall he does Everything that I want my defenseman to do, which is contribute offensively and be good defensively. And he does that. Straight up. Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, so. That's... Just keep playing Jacob Chikrin in, in DFS. <laughs> it, it, like just, I know people look at him and they're like, oh, he's 7K. And I'm like, okay, but 
Let's see. Nice. I, I typically see them at about 6300 on DK and usually in like the four high fours on FanDuel. Yeah, you used to be able to get them below 4K, uh, below 5K on FanDuel because FanDuel doesn't pay out bonuses for those type of right. things, which is unfortunate FanDuel, but I mean... But they're still giving you points for those things. They're still, yeah, you're still getting points, which is nice. I mean, but again, on DraftKings, I'm chasing the bonuses. And if I can get them on my defensemen for doing things like blocking shots, like I... Like, I 100% want them. And if you're hitting both of those bonuses or coming close to them, like, I think Chikrin coming into Saturday had five games, five straight games of five or more shots on goal. Like, that is a crazy pace for a defenseman. He bounced out against Vegas, which is fine because Vegas is a good team. But, I mean, he was just, he was just going out there and he's going out there and he's, shooting the puck a lot and i like that i want my defense you know defensemen who shoot the puck a lot you know those are my kind of guys or those are at least like it's it's kind of like those i don't know those high those high-end shooters right you want your play like i've fallen out of love a little bit with max patch because he doesn't shoot the puck anymore he doesn't shoot it you shut your mouth i he's not i stopped i stopped <laughs> playing him. i stopped playing him flat out Straight no, I don't. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't necessarily blame you in that. I play Mark Stone, and we know Mark Stone doesn't shoot the oh, puck, but he. Yeah. I mean, he gets points, right? Which at the end of the day, I'm not paying the Max Pacioretty premium if I'm not seeing the ability for him to get six, seven shots on goal. He. Well, I don't remember the last time he's done it. That's. I mean. Well, I don't necessarily agree. I'm not certain that's the right process because, like. We do know that, you know, volume equals goals, right? Good guys who score goals that shoot in volume score. And there'll be highs and lows to that. But if you stick with it when it makes sense, being, I guess, the operative word, um, that there's no reason to go against it, right? I mean, while I, I don't disagree with the, hey, Stone is doing more right now, we also know that like Stone will turn into a pumpkin because he like he just doesn't shoot the puck very much. He doesn't shoot the puck. That's I a hundred percent agree with that. He's got eighty eight shots on the season. So from a shooting perspective, he's not he's not there. Max Pacioretty's last five plus shot goal yeah, uh, shot been, game was back shot. on April seventh. Yeah. Against yeah, it's almost a month now. Yeah. We are May second as of like this moment. And he's got a bunch of one, like a bunch of, he's got some ones in there, but it's mostly twos and threes. Like he's got a four in there against the LA Kings. That's it. And again, like he picks up points here and there, right? He's got a lot of games where he sometimes hits three points or he sometimes get two points and that's fine. Right. Cause, but you need him to hit double points minimum for him to actually grade out his value. Because if not, then you're not getting it, right? And DFS is all about value, right? This is this is, should not be surprising to anybody. So at the end of the day, if I'm not getting the shot bonus from Pacioretty, then I can save a couple of dollars, which is usually the case with Mark Stone. I'll get him for less, sometimes yeah, well, thousand dollars less. less, probably. Yeah. yeah, and I'll chase the same points at that point. And if he doesn't get it, then I sit there and I go, okay, well, he didn't get it. Fine. But he's got 
multiple games here and there sometimes where he does pick up, you know, a goal here, goals count or two points or two goals or something. It, it happens. He's got, you know, bunch, bunch of games in the last 10 where he's picked up two points. Again, he's had his games where it just doesn't work. Right. He, I mean, he, I think he put up a donut against Arizona, right. On the 30th, not the last game they played, he scored a goal that game, but the one before that, he put up a donut. It's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Great matchup against Arizona. Right. He had three points the night before against Colorado goal to assist three shots on a goal, which is like that's high for him. Uh, and then he finished one shot against Anaheim. Very frustrating player from a DFS perspective, because you're like, man, Stone, you should be tearing it apart um, or at least shooting the puck more. And he doesn't. And I think what's happened to Mark to, to Max Pacioretty here um, is that Chandler Stevenson has taken all those shots because I remember I'm I'm old enough to remember when I could play Chandler Stevenson at sub 4k on DraftKings. You'd be old enough to remember like uh, three weeks ago, you, when he came back after the suspension and he was sub 4k. Yeah. He was, he was basically free. You could just, you like, we would just oh, slot yeah. him in there. That was it. He was the center option. Doesn't matter. Whatever yeah, it was. was the perfect stack. Yeah. Yeah. And then every once in a while, like he, you know, he hits the five shots and you're like, okay. And then, like, he had four against Arizona, and he picked up a point, which is pretty good. It's a shame that now we can't really just plug him into our lineup and play him anymore because it's too it's expensive. Over 5K, like, but... Yeah, it's $5,700. I actually, like, I actually need you to produce, Jim. Yeah. Like, I need you to do something here. I can't, you know, I, I can't be okay with, you know, taking a low score from you. Like, now you're in, now you're part of the big boys here. Now you got to produce for me, right? It's no longer you're like, oh, he did nothing. It happens to Chandler Stevenson. No, now you're like, hey, bud, I need you to, you know, pick up the pace here. Uh, my GPP lineup probably depends on you. So I just, all this to say, um, I've just, right now it's a, you know, it's a love-hate relationship with Max Pacioretty. He's a streaky player. The points are there, but I'm just not getting the shots. And yeah. I need them. Playoff me when playoff comes. I still know that I'm going to eat a lot in that first round of like, I'll probably play a lot of stone patch ready because of the pricing on, on Stevenson. Cause once he's held like 5k, you might as well just pay the other thousand bucks and go up to stone. Um, because you're still going to get the, like, you know, the types of minutes they're going to see, they're going to get the top power play um, at home. They're going to probably get brought out against like, when they can against third and fourth liners. I mean, Stone is so good at, like, takeaways in the neutral zone that it creates opportunities. Um, and, I mean, as as much as we can say, like, uh, you know, Patretti's shot numbers have come down. I mean, Patretti and Stone are, like, are over point-to-game players this year. Like, Stone's at 57 and 49, which is pretty impressive for a guy who doesn't even have a hundred shots yet. Um, Patch Reddy's, I think, four points ahead of the point point per game mark. So, I mean, Vegas is doing stuff right, and this is a team that is built to to compete in the playoffs, right? I mean, like Shea Theodore has been outstanding. Uh, the points aren't always there, but the shots typically have been, at least among defensemen. Like he's giving you no less than typically three a game. He's playing 20-plus minutes, and he's got two three-point upside. I mean, that's not 
readily available out there. Vegas defensively, though, is just really good. Like I said, I mean, I, I'll sometimes not pay up for Petrangelo and Theodore just because I can get Alec Martinez to block five right. shots. Um, so on DraftKings, it's kind of where I go with it. But same thing, Alec Martinez plays perfectly there. Braden McNabb has been good as well. Their third pairing is good. Nicholas Haig and Zach Whitecloud are yeah, good. Yeah, Whitecloud's not bad. So, I mean, and goaltending-wise, this team's set, right? So there's not much to worry about there. They just they look like a team that can do a lot of damage, per se. Their third line as well, I think, is pretty good. Just in general, Vegas is good. And it's still wild to believe that this team has been competitive um, since basically day one of their existence, right? Yeah. Um, and, I mean... Buffalo hasn't been competitive in 10 years. <laughs> and that's what some missteps too, right? Like you think about some of the, well, minor missteps uh, uh, as it might be, but like Vegas came out of the expansion draft. And I think this is particularly relevant with the, with Seattle's expansion draft coming up the next couple months, right? Like Vegas was able to like bend teams over the table and say like, Hey, you don't want me to take these guys? Well, how about you give me this and this and this instead? Right? Like, they accumulate so much draft yeah. capital by, like, making deals ahead of the expansion draft to say... I think teams learned this. from that as well. Like, I don't expect Seattle to be that competitive out of the gate just because I don't think... I, I think NHL teams now are aware of how they need to treat this expansion draft and not give away... Or at least I feel like they've maybe positioned themselves better and said, okay, well, we have players who we can give up or, you know, players that we can't protect and it's fine. Like, it's wild because, like, Shea Theodore was in Anaheim, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, he was he was a, you know, young kid in Anaheim. And, I mean, he was slowly coming up and trying to get, you know, going. And now you look at Anaheim's defense going, man, guys could have really used that Shea Theodore. Or even just, okay, for example, uh, Florida, right? Like, Florida literally gave Jonathan Marsh or so away and said, hey, here, please take him. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, you can also have Riley Smith if you'd like. And those two play either end of the wing on their second line. So I think and teams if- are going to learn from their mistakes the first time, right? Hint, hint, wink, wink, Florida. Um, um but, I think to some extent, yeah, I think you're going to still see teams that are like, hey, we really, especially right now, there's going to be teams that are up against the cap. They're going to be like, hey, look, how about you take this guy and we'll also yeah. give you this too so that you take him. But I right? don't know how much, like, I don't know if Seattle's really going to start, or at least Ron France, I don't think he's going to tie himself into those really bad deals. I don't, uh, I just don't, I don't think, think he's going to try. I don't think there's necessarily going to be like super lengthy bad deals. Like I don't think he's taking No, like, but I mean let's let's target the two teams who have some money that they need to get rid of, right? The Tampa Bay Lightning and the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? That they have money that needs to kind of get out of their books here, right? If they could get one if if they could get Seattle to bite on I mean some contract somewhere, uh, they would probably be okay with that. Right. So, right. for example, I, I mean, I don't think they bite on a I mean, I don't think he even waves it to consider it. Um, right. I mean, John Tavares has got that long term yeah, deal here. He's got a no move clause. I don't think he waves it to go anywhere. But 
maybe that exposes you. Maybe that exposes, you know, players like Willie Nylander, right? Because you got a lot of players with a no movement clause, right? You got a Correct. ton of players on defense. You got a ton of modified no trade clause. So uh, that kind of leaves them um, open at that point. I just, I, again, I, I don't see Seattle taking on a whole bunch of these deals. And I don't think a lot of teams are going to start giving away prospects or start giving away players and saying, hey, we need you to take well, this player and we'll give you this. Just because we saw what teams were able to do, or at least we saw what Vegas was able to do in that situation. And just, I mean, they just milked some teams out of players. They, I mean, it was it was wild to see them. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I think of a player like James Van Riemsdyk, who's got 14 million left owing on two years where like I could see the Flyers being like, hey, look, you know, our window's quickly closing here. So like JVR has been pretty good this year. You know, what do you think about maybe take him on What like? What do, you, what do you need, a second, a third, so that we can free up $7 million to go and get a defenseman or two so that we're not, you know, so we can be competitive next year and not be the, like, <laughs> the most disappointing team in our division? Um, I think there's... Speaking you know, of the Philadelphia Flyers, though, they have two players with a no-movement clause. Claude Giroux, Kevin Hayes. Yeah. The second one. <laughs> that so they got a lot of flexibility right on that team to... Yeah, move well, players around should they want to move them somewhere. Yeah, I mean they'll expose for a check. I expect he's got four years left after this year at eight point two five, but no one's touching that. You'd have to probably give up like a first, uh, maybe more than that to get someone to take on for a check. He's thirty one. Um, but like outside, of, like the Van Riemsdyk deal stands out because he's. It's only two years. You could see somebody like eating that going, yeah, all right. You know, you give us a second, third. Sure. Yeah, we, we can do that. Um, because otherwise, like, no one's making that much money on that team. And they've got a bunch of UFAs. So you have to shed, shed some money. Uh, well, they got, I mean, Carter Hart did them a big favor this year. He's going to hit RFA. He might make Brian Elliott money next year at this rate. Um, but, you know, you look at guys like, you know, Travis Sanheim's not going to command a big dollar deal. Nolan Patrick, you might even question whether you even bother like extending him in RFA, right? He's not been good. Um, so I, I could see that being a play where they say, "All right, hey, like we gotta we gotta shed some money." And I think there's going to be teams in that space where maybe they're not trying to get rid of like the biggest deals, right? Like Toronto's just. You'd be doing Toronto a favor, I would think, if you were to take somebody like Willie Nylander, right? Say, oh, okay, yeah, we'll take, you know, I mean, $7 million off your hands for the next three years. Open up some flexibility, right? I mean, I mean, Toronto would probably be happy for you to take Alex Kerfoot, and that might be realistic as a player who gets exposed. Because, um, like, it's, I don't know. It's definitely going to be interesting to see how Seattle wants to do this. And like I said, there are some teams that are in a really tough situation. So I want to see just how much hardball Seattle is going to play with certain teams that I know are against that are up against the cap who need to kind of free up some money um, and see, you know, just 
how they go about this. Again, yeah. same thing. Tampa Bay Lightning. I mean, they have their total cap hit as of today, right? Courtesy of the good friends over at Cap Friendly, is a hundred million dollars. <laughs> like the cap is eighty one point five. This like they the, this team is just doing whatever they can to get over that. You know, get around the cap as much. They got seventeen million tied up in you know long term injury reserve. They milked that to the bone. So again, that they I think you know Julian Breezewell was able to kind of work his way around for one year, but I can't. I don't think he can ask Kucherov or Stamkos every year to be like, "Hey, you guys want to sit out an entire season so we can make right. this work?" Right? Like it kind of solve their issue for one year, but you kind of got to figure it out um, a second time because I mean, Braden points deal, right? He's uh, he, he's got one more year left on his deal that he signed for 6.75. So he might be due for a little bit of money here coming up. Uh, They've also tied up some other players, right? We know Tyler Johnson's contract's not going anywhere. Yanni Gord picked up $5.1 million somewhere. Uh, Congratulations to Yanni Gord's agent. Alex Killorn at 4.4. Alex Killorn still got some money there that's tied up. You got Blake Coleman and Barkley Goudreau, two key pieces um, that you went to go get out to help you win a Stanley Cup. Uh, Those players are UFAs at the end of this season. So they got... Again, they got some money that they need to kind of figure out where they're going to find it. On defense, I mean, the the core of what they have is going to stay there. I don't know if you let David Savard and Luke Shen walk unless you can get them at maybe similar prices, if not less. And then it's, it's like I said, it's just a question of trying to figure out how they're going to work whatever else they got. Because with uh, Kucherov and Stamkos in the lineup, like they don't, they just, they aren't a cap compliant team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, this would be, well, they're not moving. Like Stamkos would be the player that maybe you would try to dangle, but he's got a no movement clause. He's not moving from Tampa. Like he chose Tampa. He wanted to be there. Yeah. Uh, you're not definitely not moving Kucherov. And I mean, to be fair, like if you were, Seattle, I would probably rather just be like, no, it's cool. We'll take Patrick Maroon. Oh, he's got a no movement clause too, <laughs> right? You're like, yeah, I don't know. Give me, give me like Matthew Joseph or like Mitchell Stevens. Just give me something low priced. I don't want to like, I don't need to come in and take four million dollars off your hands so that you know you can get yeah. yourself where you need to be. Unless you're gonna make it really worth my while. Like and... all these teams that are like the third man in, was it like San Jose was basically taking on players so they can yeah. take on fifty percent money to help out other teams? Uh, like Vegas, I don't think yeah. Seattle, yeah, like I don't think see, like I don't think Seattle is going to be in the situation where they're going to start trying to make friends here. Like they're going to be like, hey, look, we're going to make life difficult for you, and see if they can, you know, extort. I mean, I'm I'm guessing what they want is a pick, right? right? Or kind of build up the pipeline. Yeah, you get get a pick or a prospect. Yeah, like something somewhere in that case. I don't, I mean, they need NHL players, but that you're going to get by default no matter what. I'm sure there are maybe some players after what happened in Vegas, just the way that things happen that might be a little bit more open to maybe saying, hey, I'll waive my clocks and be put on the list. Yeah. But I don't think any of the big names will be like, hey, yeah, let me go and embark on this (laughs) new journey again here. Yeah, I mean, that said, 
Um, I think Vegas maybe had a little different allure to it than Seattle's going to as well, right? Right. I mean, it's a lot of you think of more reasons to want to maybe spend some time in Vegas than you can to spend some time in Seattle. At least I can. But uh, yeah, Vegas is going to be interesting too, right? I assume they're going to say like, please take Riley Smith, make five million bucks. We need that five million bucks. Uh, I mean, it could be Alex Tuck, which would do them a lot of favors because they're paying four point seven five million for what's a third line player on that team today. But I'm sure they're happy to move him up to the second um, and save the Riley Smith money. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, Carolina will be a team that I think will get a lot of attention leading up to that as well with Ron Francis's knowledge of um, of that team. And, I mean, he drafted much of that team as well. So um, it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out. I mean, there's some, some rumor that because uh, Rod Brindamore is not signed past this year that maybe he ends up as the head coach in – in Seattle, uh, which would be a huge mistake, I think, for Carolina. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with, with Seattle in that expansion draft. Um, I think there'll be a lot of buzz around it, if nothing else, because of how good Vegas was. Um, and the other thing we don't really know yet is what even the divisions are going to look like. True. Right? Like, you would imagine that you'd be hard-pressed to not put them in the Pacific with you know, Vancouver being a two-hour drive away from Seattle. Uh, but, I mean, are they just going to completely realign the divisions after this year? They could, right? They realigned them for this year. So they I think they still again. have to vote on it, too, to kind of find out how they want to go about this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like they've been continuously just caught off guard by, like, juggling the schedule that it's like, oh, right, we have these other things we have to do. Like, are NHL players going to the Olympics in 2022 and all that good stuff, too, that's still kind of sitting around outstanding? It's, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I do want to see where um, Seattle ends up playing. Naturally, they deserve to be on the the West Coast, right? So they deserve to uh, be in a division in some way with, I mean, San Jose, Los Angeles, Anaheim, right? Colorado, Vegas deserves to be there. Uh, I guess Arizona, St. Louis, and Minnesota are like the most non- of central teams. I yeah. guess so. You can call them central. I guess they fall into the same uh, division here as like Nashville, Dallas, and Chicago, right? Yeah. That's kind of it's kind of it. I think maybe those teams trying to make up a. Uh, because let's be honest, like the central division is not central. Like it's it's not central. <laughs> no. It's, it's not. Well, but it's, to be fair, uh, it's... it's very east. Yeah. And then there's what? One, two, three central teams in it. I don't even consider Columbus as central because they don't change time. Um, so I mean there's one, two, three, four, five teams east. Right, like Carolina is east, east. Tampa Bay and Florida, very east. Nashville and Dallas are probably the Nashville, Dallas, Chicago are the most central teams in that division. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, 
I think that's why they call they called it the Discover Central. They really wanted you to discover the central time zone for five of those teams. Yeah. I mean it it'll be interesting how it plays out, right? I mean, you think about the the NHL's also done interesting things, right? Like you think of like the previous Atlantic division where it's like, okay, we have to keep Montreal and Toronto and Boston all in the same group because we need those those rivalries. Um, so like you pull Boston, which is also super east, and move them into the quote unquote Atlantic with you know Tampa and Florida, and Toronto and Ottawa and Montreal. Um, but meanwhile, like I mean, Detroit and Columbus really aren't very far from Toronto. Like Buffalo as well was in was the other team in there. Um, and it's like, well, you just like, relegate Buffalo to the <laughs> AHL. I don't think anybody misses them. Yeah, at this point, it just be at this uh, point, it's fine. Even Buffalo Saber fans don't even miss them. So, I mean, is anybody crying for Buffalo? Really, I'm not. So you could just relegate them, and that'll uh, free up some space in the East there if a team needs it. Again, no offense to Buffalo, but I mean, if they left, we the only reason we'd realize is because we at one point we'd lift our heads and be like, wait a minute, I haven't stacked against Buffalo recently. Are they <laughs> are they still in the league? Yeah. Are they here? What happened? Yeah. Where is Dustin Tikarski? <laughs> Where's my mountain of disappointment that comes with paying this price for Jack Eichel? Yeah, Jay, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think Jack Eichel is going to be a Buffalo Saber next year, but I feel like that's a whole other. Yeah, it's a, different it's a whole other conversation, conversation to have. <laughs> yeah. Poor um, Sabers. But yeah, we'll we'll see what happens with all this, right? There's just a lot of moving pieces. Um, I mean, ultimately, all this is just driven by revenue, right? It's all yeah. the teams really care about. Teams like having rivalries because if it sells tickets and it, you know, gets people to watch the games, then it's like, yeah, this is good. This is a good thing for us. Um, and I mean, like, you could, like, it wouldn't surprise me to see Pittsburgh and Columbus and Detroit, Chicago. Nashville and all like St. Louis and all these teams would be like, yeah, actually we're sure we'll be a central division and, you know, swap Pittsburgh out for Boston and literally like run yourself down the Eastern seaboard. Um, as opposed to like taking a whole bunch of teams that are Midwest. I think they call them. They're more like mid East in my eyes. Uh, but traditionally they're known as Midwestern teams with like, you know, Minneapolis and Chicago and, uh, Nashville and, Dallas is really more south, in, in my opinion. But uh, you know, Winnipeg, Toronto, Ottawa—you can see that making sense as a division, right? It's not. Ridiculous. I could see it. Yes, it's not ridiculous from a like air travel perspective. You're not going like, oh my god, like these teams just spend like massive amounts. And I remember initially uh, when they made that Metro division, uh, some of those teams, believe it or not, because they're among the richest teams in the NHL loved the idea of not having to fly from city to city because you can easily take, um, you can easily take a train from New York to Philadelphia to, to Washington. Um, and that was very much a, an allure to those teams being like, Hey, look, we don't have to spend huge costs and we can make even more money. So it yeah, is. We'll, I mean, we'll it's a that. short, that, I mean, all the teams in the East, especially that, Metro division. I mean, they're all what you could almost drive to any of them. It's my understanding that it's like 
a little over an hour on a train from Philadelphia to New York. And, I've never tried it. And Washington isn't much further away in like the opposite direction. So I bet you it's no more than like an hour and a half from Washington to Philadelphia. I mean, what's the farthest team? I guess it would be what? Philadelphia. Like, so Buffalo is probably the most northern team in that division, I would say. Yeah, for sure. I guess with maybe like the Rangers, I guess, being close. But like, I feel like you could easily drive from like Buffalo to. I mean, it's it's far, right? But you could do it. Yeah, it's pretty far in a day, right? I mean, that those all those teams in in that division are. I mean, they're super close by, right? I mean, the North Division is what it is, right? Um, because it is, but and the same thing. But I feel like the Central Division has the most travel, uh, followed by the. Well, I mean, no, that's unfair. I would say then it's the North Division, just because you have to go from one end of the country to the other. Um, yeah. but it was, you know, set up like that for a reason, but I, I, I am interested to see how owners want to play this out just because I think every owner has kind of their own agenda and their own kind of things that they want to accomplish revenue wise specifically. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be interesting and the NHL trying to preserve certain matchups or at least the most matchups possible. Like you said, you know, Montreal playing Boston, uh, playing Toronto, you know, those type of rivalries, I guess, what the NHL is trying to uh, create here. I, I think they want to keep as many of those as possible. And I think we see a lot of games within the division, you know, regardless of wherever COVID has gone, I don't think it'll be completely eradicated at that point. So you may see teams playing more games against teams in their division. Um, so, it's again, it's going to be interesting just to see how they want to go about it. But I'm just excited to see where I'm, I'm excited that Seattle is here. Like, congratulations to them. They're officially a hockey team now. Like, they <laughs> they exist. They can start making good slash bad trades. Yeah. And I mean, I think this is particularly really good for Vancouver. Vancouver's kind of just been off on its own forever. Um, and it seems like at times uh, this season, especially like Canucks think of like the Maple Leafs as the rival as like the least rivalry. Like there's no rivalry between those teams. Um, just like market size as being your closest rivalry, <laughs> but like having a team within two hours where people like where your fans can drive back and forth if they want to, uh, you know, provided the border opens up someday, uh, will will be good. Right. Um, good for hockey. It's good for those teams. So yeah, it, it'll be it'll be interesting, fun to see how it plays out. Um, but with that in mind, uh, we should probably go ahead and and close things down right here. Uh, my apologies, there are not a lot of DFS talk this week. Um, it's just not a lot of schedule left, and we've got some really big slates here. So um, we're also seeing huge amounts of players just having like rest days. Uh, I think we saw Toronto rest five players, just, including Nick Foligno, who would only just play, play one game. just just play McDavid. Just, yeah, that's it. Well, play McDavid and and Jacob Chikrin and figure out the rest. Well, or like typically the way I think about playing McDavid is either play him or just don't. Right, like if you don't play him, just take your twenty dollar bill, put it in the well, toilet, and then wave <laughs> it away. And it's probably this. You'll probably get you know that's you're saving yourself some hassle. You can go on and do other things in life. I don't know, maybe 
hang out with the significant other, go for a walk, learn a new skill instead of watching your lineup be intact for about three hours. And then the Edmonton Oiler game comes on and there goes all your money. There are a few things worse than like thinking you're sitting pretty through like the seven, eight o'clock games to see like, oh, right. McDavid hasn't played yet. Oh, how many points do I need to make up? Oh, well, <laughs> maybe I'll still cash. <laughs> right. So, all right, everybody, have a good week. Uh, as always, you can find us in the chat. And uh, best of luck if you are still playing, uh, if you're in the finals of your, your season-long league this week. Have a good one.